0: Hi, this is Reverend Tommy, and I'd like to welcome you back to the garden where we explore the big questions about life. I invite you to open your minds and be receptive to seeing things differently. So let's get metaphysical. Well, good morning once again. (coughs) This morning I was looking at the newspaper and this article came out I don't know if you're familiar with the caricature uh, Baldo, but Baldo is created by my wife's first cousin, Hector Cantu. He's the creator of that, and he's in, I don't know how many magi- uh, newspapers all over the country, including the Monitor and the Morning Star. And I saw it and I thought, okay, well, this is interesting that I'm talking about this today. It starts off with Lucy telling, uh, I think her name is Lucy, is it? Oh, whatever, Baldo. Uh, <laughs> Do you think in this day and age we're creating our own reality, living in a world we imagine in our heads, affirmed by the social media, news feeds, and images we choose to see in our customized cyberspace world? And Balo says, I'm way ahead of you, kid. <laughs> He's created this little thing in on his mind. So I thought, I'm going to call Hector and tell him, thank you, Hector. You were part of my lesson today. (laughs) So, the lesson is called You, Each One of You, is the Universe. The New Copernican Revolution. This morning, I want to take you through a brief journey of the human, of the development of the human consciousness on this planet. Now, certainly, it's not going to be complete, because I'm talking about 20, 22 minutes or something. And, well, that's a lot of information. And plus, I'm talking about two books that we just finished at the uh, Let's Get Metaphysical Book Club on Tuesday evenings. And when I told some of the people that come to the class I wanted to do this, they said, really? <laughs> Good luck with that. <laughs> it is a very interesting title. And beyond interesting, it is provocative and intriguing to say nothing of empowering, which is the key core message of the title and of this lesson. The idea that we are beings with great power. Check that. Beings with potentially infinite power is a very strange idea to us. Why? Because humanity comes from quite the opposite world view. We come from a world view that we are separate. From each other and from everything. That we are weak, that we are incomplete, and that we are at the mercy of a hostile universe. This belief comes from a very old way of seeing things that alleged that since the fall from the the fall from grace, which by by the way, I had nothing to do with ours, for the ready. I had nothing to do with that. Since that time, this world has been under the rule of evil forces. The good news, the story goes, is that in the end, God will return to this earth, because right now, obviously, the earth is godless, and engage with a battle with evil, and ultimately defeat it. That's the story we've been told. It has a name. It's called apocalypticism, if you remember. Theologically, It is referred to as eschatology, end-time theology. That's what that word means, a theological word, eschatology. And for those of you who are sticklers for details and information, you might want to know that Paul, the founder of Christianity as we know it, Paul, the founder, not not Jesus, he was an apocalyptic Jew and he believed this. He believed in the end-time theology. Now, I'm not a math whiz or or anything, but it's not too hard to figure out, if you put two and two together, where we get this traditional view from, from Paul. Now, the strange thing is, that view is not something that existed in our past. It is very much still part of our present. I did a good, quick little Google search, and I found this. According to the Pew Research Center's 2014, religious landscape study, it is natural for people to want to turn, to want things to turn out well in the end, both in life and, apparently, in the afterlife. Roughly seven in 10 people, 72% of Americans believe in heaven. And heaven defined as a place where people go who have led good lives then they are eternally rewarded. At the same time, 58% of the people of the U.S. adults believe in hell, defined as a place where people who have led bad lives without being sorry go to be eternally punished. This worldview is still very much doing well in this planet, except for unity, that is. Now I want you to take, to notice something here, very interesting. In the traditional view of both heaven and hell, they're in the future. They're not here. You don't go there until after you die. So, you know, for all intents and purposes, it's in the future. That is very contrary, by the way, to what Jesus said. Because in Luke, he says, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed Or will people say, here it is, or there it is? Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. It is within. Now, it doesn't sound like a future tense to me. That sounds like right here, right now to me. And that's what we teach in Unity. The subtitle of today's lesson, The New Copernican Revolution, comes from a previous book that we had done at Book Club, and that we are currently reading at the other book club in Mercedes. It is called From Science to God. See, from the very beginning, unity has always aligned itself with the idea of bringing science and religion together. Because it's all part of the same picture. They're just different pieces of the puzzle. That's all. One can exclude the other. I mean, it's just, that doesn't make any sense. The title and the subtitle represent what I see, what I would call, the leading edge of the unfolding consciousness on planet Earth. It is nothing short of a new paradigm of understanding. Now, I've talked about paradigms before. So let me redefine that, just to make sure we're clear, and we're all on the same page, about what a paradigm is. A paradigm is like a model of the universe. It is a broadly accepted belief of something. For example, when the human race consciousness believed that the earth was flat, that was a paradigm. When the human race consciousness believed that this Earth was the center of the universe, that was a paradigm. Now paradigm shifts, shifts with an S, happen when a brave soul challenges the assumptions behind the existing world of view. And they are assumptions. We talked about that in the class. Even science, as solid as it seems, is based on an assumption. They cannot absolutely, absolutely, unequivocally prove it. It just looks that way and it keeps working like charm, but that doesn't make it a certainty. It's still based on an assumption. So somebody new comes along and challenges the the preconceived idea of what's happening. Well, my buddy, Copernicus. he's my buddy, he came along in the 1500s And he did exactly that. He shattered the existing worldview. And it was a big deal. I mean, a really big deal. Because the worldview that he shattered had been in place for 1,400 years. That's a long time. The religious establishment did not take well to Copernicus saying these things. It challenged them. They did not like that. Seventy years later, Galileo came along, and with a newly designed telescope, he confirmed what Copernicus had only hypothesized. Again, the Church was not happy about this. Listen to what Cardinal Bellarmine said about Galileo's version of the universe. Well, the solar system, for them, not the universe. He said, to assert that the Earth revolves around the sun, is as erroneous as to claim that Jesus was not born of a virgin. Now, looking back from our current consciousness, or some of us, but obviously not the majority because I just gave you some stats, which would disprove (laughs) that, (laughs) but some of us, well, it seems kind of naive for the cardinal to say such a thing. But that was their understanding of things. That was their race consciousness. That's where they were at the time. Now, for me, I'm a thinker, I'm a philosophy major. That brings up an interesting question for me. What is it that we believe as a race consciousness that in 100 or 200 years from now will seem equally as naive to those people and say, what is wrong with those people back then? Are you serious? Because there will be something. The Buddha said, and this is one from the book, all descriptions of reality are temporary hypotheses. I think you get the idea. The idea is, don't get stuck in a belief system. This is why unity has no dogma. We don't make you believe something, because in Unity of New Thought, we know that our consciousness is continually expanding and thus changing. Charles Fillmore, Unity co-founder, said, I reserve the right to change my mind, because I know that the person I'm going to be tomorrow is not the same person that I am today, because I will have evolved one more day. I will have learned something else. I'm no longer the same person. So to be stuck in something doesn't make any sense. Now, I know this sounds a little paradoxical, and welcome to the world of spirituality, because the world of spirituality is very paradoxical. I'll give you an example. The paradox in what I just said is this. That which we are in essence will never change. But that which we are in expression will never stop changing. The eternal and the temporary
1: are sharing a beautiful dance. And I said,
0: i got to add, Tony add that to my list of my quotes. The eternal and the temporary are sharing a beautiful dance. So picking up on history and the developing consciousness of the planet, 1700s. Along comes Sir Isaac Newton, and boom, another paradigm shift. Things change. Newton proposed a new model of the universe, a one that could be that described everything in material terms. In Newtonian physics, there is no need for God or anything that's not material. It just doesn't need it. It's got to have physical properties. It is what one author called the only matter matters theory. Now this new paradigm is actually very good and works like a charm. This is how we send stuff to other planets because it's based on Newtonian physics. And it's just. You know, things are moving, so it's like a football player I said before. It's like when you're gonna throw a football, you're not gonna throw it to where the guy is. You're gonna throw it to where the guy's gonna be. <laughs> because that's where when the ball gets there, that guy's gonna be over there, not where he is not now. Same thing's happening to us, where everything's moving. So so it works like a charm. Except for one thing. When they discovered quantum physics, then they tried to apply the same stuff to this to the subatomic world, and it didn't work. They found it doesn't work at all. Newtonian physics stayed in place for 300 years until quantum physics came along and started changing things. To this day, they haven't figured out how they can reconcile the two. How can there be two sets of physics in one universe? They don't know, but there is. So with that in mind, where are we now in our unfolding consciousness of this planet? Could we be entering into a new paradigm that is as counterintuitive to us now as Copernicus' claim was to the people of the 1500s? After all, the majority of people, as I said, still hold a worldview that's 2,000 years old. See, in the, in the 1500s, people believed the Earth was the center of the universe and stationary, because, first, that's what they were told. That was the accepted idea. And second, because they had physical confirmation. Go outside. The sun looks like it's going around the planet. And it doesn't look like it's spinning to me. I don't know if it looks like it's spinning to you. So of course it was flat, I mean, the sun went around and, and it was stationary. So what is it that we're seeing now that is this new Copernican revolution? Now to get to the answers here, we have to examine a couple of core, core fundamental questions. Now you you on the universe sets it in a series of nine questions, but I don't have time for all that. So instead I'm going to go back to my philosophical self and address a few key points in question the first is are we really separate from everything or are we one at the core like quantum physics seems to be suggesting now i have mentioned this before it's called the paradigm separation versus a paradigm of oneness Traditional Christianity teaches a paradigm of separation. We are separate from God. I am separate from you. Everything is separate. We're like little islands everywhere, little spots. And unity and the Eastern way of looking at things usually says, no, no, no. We're not separate at all. It looks like that. Just as the sun looks like it's going around. But just because it looks like that doesn't make it so. That doesn't make it so at all. The second question is, is there really a universe... Out there. In other words, whatever appears to be out there, is it really out there? And is it really independent of us? Now, that's a tricky question, and I don't want want you to be too quick to shrug this off and say, of course there's something out there. Go look. Because if you do that, then you'll be exactly like the people in the 1500s saying, of course the sun goes around the earth. Go look. German philosopher Immanuel Kant proposed the idea that yes, there is a universe out there, but that we have no direct contact to it. I said, what? No direct contact to it. He said, all we can ever know is what appears in our mind. From this perception, it's all about direct contact. And the only thing that we can know is that which is within us. That's an interesting thing, because see, that change, that kind of goes along with what unity teaches about God. We don't need an external Savior, because the only thing that's going to work is whatever you can make contact with directly. Unless you experience it yourself, what value is it? Nothing. So this shatters the idea of a need for an external savior because it's a personal, and I know that, because I've said that before, if I know nothing else, I know it's a personal thing. Because like I've said before, I mean, somebody can talk to you about swimming all day long, but you're not going to learn how to swim by somebody talking to you about swimming. You're going to have to jump in the water, you're going to have to have the experience yourself. Same with playing an instrument. I can talk, they can talk to you all day about playing the piano. You, you can play that in Nesta? I don't think so. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. You gotta do it. <laughs> so, on page 43 of Science the it says, The idea that reality is the creation of the mind seems to run counterintuitive to our common sense. It says, In short, all that I perceive... Everything I hear, taste, touch, smell has been has been reconstructed from sensory data. I think I am perceiving the world around me, but all I am directly aware of are the colors, shapes, sounds, and smells that appear in my mind. That is what I'm aware of. As one of, as one of the guys in in the, your the universe book says, the world has. It's a strange idea. This is a Nobel Prize winning guy or something. And he's a neurologist guy. He says, I want you to understand that in the world there is no color, there is no taste, there is no sound, there is nothing. All that is interpretation that you interpret. It's a very strange idea. I'm telling you, like, what? So under the category of Maya, and we've all heard of Maya, they say that it's... It shouldn't be interpreted as illusion. It should be more like delusion. He says, there are two realities. The physical reality and the personal reality. Both are very real. Some people claim that our subjective reality is an illusion. But that is misleading. It may all be the creation of the mind, but it is nonetheless real. It is the only reality we ever know. I need to share that with Bernard on Tuesday night, (laughs) Len. If you are the universe in in you are the universe, there is an appendix that threw us all off at first and said, I say, what? And it's it's called getting comfortable with qualia. And we're like, what's qualia? Who has heard of qualia other than the people in the class? Nobody, right? How do you think so? I've never heard of it. So what the heck is qualia? <laughs> it says, in part, for human beings, subjective experience experiences are in the form of sensations, images, feelings, and thoughts. The general term for this is qualia. All subjective experiences are qualia. Every experience is made of qualia or qualities in consciousness. So qualia is qualities in consciousness that we experience. And I said, well, that's an interesting thing. Qualia never heard of it. Well, now you have. Somebody doesn't know what qualia is. It's that stuff, whatever it is. Whatever that said up there, (laughs) that's what it is. (laughs) So is there a world out there? Well, I kind of tend to think that there is, but I agree with Kant. I think the only thing that we can know is our version of it. So, God becomes a personal experience. Of course it does. Of course, as far as the world goes, maybe the bigger question is, well, how did the world come to be that that world is out there? If the, if the universe is based on a paradigm of separation, then of course there's something out there, and of course it's independent of us but it is based on a paradigm of oneness, which we teach, then the answer still may well be, yeah, there's a universe out there, but no, it does not exist independent of us. At the end of You Are the Universe, Deepak sums it up, says, our state of being interacts so intimately with reality that observer, observed, And the process of observation are inseparable. Inseparable. It's all going on at the same time. So we are participating. The book refers to the universe as a human universe. And Gene brought that to my attention, lastly. How can it be a human universe if the universe was before humans? How the heck does that work? So we're talking about chicken and the egg thing? Is that what we're talking about here, or what? I don't know. Then I had to thinking, you know, I have a block back there that I made, because I etched glass. And, and the block, it's, it's a Meister Eckhart. You know, Meister Eckhart, Roman Catholic priest from the what, 1200s? Whatever it was. Uh, genius guy. Wonderful quotes. And I engraved I this quote that I saw, that, and it says, whenever the soul wants to experience something, it projects an image out in front of it, and then steps into it. I said, oh, Meister, you are a sharp little dude, aren't you? (laughs) That is an interesting image to think. So I said, "Okay, Gene, since you brought this up, I said, well, maybe humans weren't around, but that doesn't mean consciousness was not around. And maybe we did exactly that. Maybe humankind collectively projected an image of the universe out in front of itself and then stepped into it. Who knows? Could very well be. The other question that's very, very important is what is the universe made of? Is it... there's two things. Is it fundamentally matter? Or is it fundamentally non-matter? What is it? Fundamentally matter would mean that the universe is made of things. Some kind of things. However small they could be. And fundamentally not matter would be that it's made out of spirit or energy or mind or whatever you want to call it. It's all the same thing. It's not material. Unity co-founder Charles Fillmore said that it was a spirit. this is a spiritual universe. And of course, by spiritual, again, he means something that is essentially non-material. Now, there's an interesting quote from the Bible that you can read this and say, look, that's kind of what they're saying. It says, it's in Hebrews, and it says, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made of what was visible, So the visible was made from the invisible. So the the invisible is what makes the visible. That sounds like quantum physics to me. I don't know if they thought they knew that, but that's what it sounds like. In the book, it says that matter is (laughs) 99.9999999 empty space. Matter is not made of matter. And we know that now. This brings me to the real issue of both of the books of this paradigm that they're trying to propose to us who have ears to hear and eyes to see, as Jesus said. They're saying that consciousness itself is the fundamental property of the universe. That's the crux of the message. That God is consciousness. We cannot define it. It is as elusive as God is. We cannot know what it is. There is a chapter in the Science of God called the Sentient Universe. What an idea! That we live in essentially something with, con- no, not something with consciousness, but consciousness itself. We live in a living thing. We live in an ocean we are fish in the ocean, and the ocean is consciousness. It's very, very strange. Paul said, "In him we live and move and have our being." Well, the wording would probably be better say, "In it we live and move and have our being." It is a totally another way of seeing this. It really, really is. And so, if consciousness has always been around, the book says. What evolved over the course of evolution was not the faculty of consciousness, but the various qualities and dimensions of conscious experience. The forms of consciousness is what's changing. We, my friends, you, me, each one of us, is a form of consciousness. And in that sense, you are the universe because in a non-local universe, and non-local means that everything is everywhere all the time, which is what quantum is telling us, then in that non-local universe, you are the universe because you're everywhere. It's a strange idea. I will grant you. It takes a little getting used to because we do come from a very, very limited point of view and it keeps us down. It holds us back. That's the problem. That's the stumbling block. Now, this is not new information. It says the the Vedic sages have been declaring I am the universe for 4,000 years or something. At the end, the book, Deepak summarizes as such. We put three cards on the table with that book. It says, Qualia, our our new friend, (laughs) Qualia. Consciousness and the human universe. What game will we play with that? With those three cards? In the 1930s, Albert Einstein met with this famous Indian poet, Tagore, I believe was his name, we read it in the book, who described the universe as a human universe. Deepak closes the book by saying, if Tagore was right that the human universe is the only one that exists, we face a future in infinite, with infinite hope in the joy of creation. For future generations, you are the universe will be a credo to live by, no longer a dream wrapped inside a mystery. I was talking to Reverend Ivory again this week. By the way, Reverend Ivory's back and we're happy to have you. (laughs) And, and And I noticed something that at the end of her emails, and I've seen it before, but this, you know, sometimes, yeah, I've seen it before, but this week, it kind of stuck. I said, I'm going to finish the lesson this way. She has a quote at the bottom of her emails all the time. And it's from a German philosopher, another German philosopher, Arthur Schopenhauer. It says this, all truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. Third, it is accepted as being self-evident. Interesting. The idea that God is consciousness itself, and we are a variation, a form of that consciousness, a unique, yet not unique, remember I told you I saw Dr. Sipri one time? I said, I am unique, just like everybody else. <laughs> <Isn't that> interesting? <laughs> but truly, again, a paradox, as we have. Well, for me, this newfound old knowledge that we are the universe for me is very self evident. I hope it comes for you as well. Have a wonderful Sunday. Have a wonderful week. You are the universe.